Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to For Our Future. I'm Selena Gentry, Media Lab Technician for the COD Radio and TV Media Department. And with me, as always, is my co-host... Prima Walker, your sustainability consultant and a hardcore composter. And today we have a very special guest who is also a local eco-warrior and an Army veteran with the Signal Corps, Susan Krings, who is the founder and president of Dig EcoPrize, a local nonprofit. Thank you, Susan, so much for being here with us today and for your service. And we just want to know all about today's topic with you, since you are an expert on permaculture. And um, we want to know about Dig EcoPrize. So, uh, like, what are your goals, your mission statement, and how can the community get involved? Well, thank you, Selena. It's nice to be here. Thank you, Prima. Like many people, I found permaculture through gardening. I wanted to start gardening uh, back in 2007. And when I was searching on best techniques and best practices, I came across permaculture and it made total sense. It was a way of working with nature in order to provide for my needs and many people have adopted this practice and this design science to be able to produce food, fiber, and fuel for themselves in the most sustainable and regenerative way possible. And so that's what we're all about at Dig EcoPrize. We wanna teach people First of all, permaculture design, and then all of the things and the skills and the techniques that they can bring into their lives and their practice uh, to be completely sustainable and regenerative as much as they're able to be in their lives. That is just so awesome. And I'm all for it. You know, we're, <laughs> we're all about trying to come up with solutions to all of the problems that we're facing environmentally here, um, which is the goal of this show. So I know Prema was telling me permaculture, um, as it's defined, is like a permanent agriculture working with nature without working against it so I think for me it's um, it aligns more like permanent agriculture because I grew up with farmers and I grew up on farmland so agriculture is what I saw but the thing is everybody defines it, it in their own way you know for me it's permanent agriculture for somebody else it's using just common sense and observing around how do you define in your own terms what is permaculture Susan? Um, I define permaculture as um, providing for our own needs and being as sustainable as possible. You know, we can take a lot of responsibility for ourselves, mm -hmm. and we've learned and had so many um, conveniences in our lives, you know, especially over the last hundred years or so, mm -hmm. and all based on fossil fuel. And the fossil fuel that we're burning now, we're actually taking it out of the ground and putting it back into the atmosphere. And it's causing us all kinds of problems. So whatever mm -hmm. we can do to prevent that 
carbon from uh, going back into the atmosphere and causing global warming, um, causing the greenhouse effect. That's what we study and we apply in permaculture. You know, how can we work with environmental energy mm-hmm. and physics and Chemistry. gravity? chemistry, all the sciences. (laughs) Yeah, how do we do that and not have to burn fossil fuel? I mean, the good thing is uh, when you are um, listening the word permaculture for the first time and we are talking about how there is a design course for it and everything, anybody can adapt this. It's not like you have to be highly educated or you have to have college degree, nothing like that. No, you can start as a child. child. You can start just wherever you are and understand, for example, like it says there are three ethics in permaculture. It's taking care of the earth, taking care of the people, and making sure we are having, sharing the everything surplus fair enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're spreading the resources around and and returning the surplus back to the earth just mm-hmm. is is what exactly what composting does. Yeah. You know, there is no waste. Mm-hmm. We're not burying it in a landfill where it cannot be access, um, mm-hmm. accessed. We're actually putting it back into that useful nutrient cycling. It it can be as simple as like if you have a grapefruit, we are in the Coachella Valley, which means we have a lot of citrus. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, throwing away all the grapefruit and letting it rot, you can just go and share it with your neighbor or take it to your workplace and distribute it to other people. Just by doing that, you are applying permaculture ethics in your life. You're taking care of the people around you, you're taking care of the earth, and you're sharing your surplus. And that's another, actually another definition of permaculture. It's Mm -hmm. permanent culture, which, you know, is like nurturing those relationships that we have with each other and our neighbors, because there are a lot of places where you don't even know your neighbor, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so if you're taking somebody some fruit and knocking on their door and you're getting to know them, they're going to they're gonna be very happy to see you. <laughs> they're not going to be like, who are you? Yeah. It's so go- funny <laughs> that you mentioned that because I just remembered and I had my day has been so busy today. I almost forgot I have pomegranates for you <laughs> today that I brought. And that's my, my grapefruit tree. I have a pink grapefruit tree um, that's doing – this is the time of year when – it's it has so many grapefruits i don't even know what to do with it <laughs> grapefruits oranges um lemons mm-hmm. yeah. so uh I definitely i have a citrus juicer that's <laughs> wearing out you know well and um, don't forget the citrus <laughs> peel because we you know what i want to do is have a limoncello party limoncello mm-hmm. making party where mm-hmm. you take the peels of the lemon mm-hmm. And then you soak it in uh, vodka or another sort of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then you, once you strain that off in a week or so, then you can combine that with simple syrup and that'll store for a long time. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, there's all kinds of really cool things. I know it's like great in potpourris and um, all kinds of stuff that you can do. And of course, compost it when you're done with it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's Um, like reusing the natural resources that are available to us again and again, like you squeeze the lemon, Selena, and you took the lemon juice and you gave you gave that lemon peel to Susan. Mm-hmm. Susan made that lemon cello mm-hmm. and we had a party and Susan gave me that leftover so I can take it and compost it and give it back mm-hmm. to soil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we completed the circle. It's a complete feedback loop system. Like you said, you, you told me you observe nature, figure out the patterns, and plan your existence or sustainability by applying the patterns of nature. It's a complete feedback loop system, 
and um, you correct it until you find the best way and most comfortable spot that's in sync with nature, right? Yes, and at the same time, it's comfortable to you. You don't have to completely go off grid saying, I'm not going to use anything that's modern technology. Mm-hmm. You can stay where you are and you can pick your comfortable level. You know, even though for me, maybe a building rice bed feels like, oh, I'm cutting down a tree or something, but my comfort is I don't want to bend. I don't want to wear out my body. <laughs> right. yeah. So I'm I'm picking comfort and I'm meeting, hey, how can I be in my comfort level and be sustainable at the same time? So yeah, when, and you're taking your next best step. Yeah. You know, it's not, not everybody's next best step is the same. Mm-hmm. We have to kind of ease into it. And like Prima said, not just say, oh, I'm going off grid and I'm not ever going to plug anything else in again. That's pretty unrealistic for most people. Mm-hmm. So we just want people to do what's comfortable and natural to them and um, attainable as well as sustainable. One of the things that we have coming up is we're starting a grow lab and we're doing that in cooperation with the UCCE Master Gardeners of Riverside County. Mm -hmm. And what we're gonna do there is start growing a bunch of native plants so that we can um, supply plants to uh, different organizations around the valley. Uh, We'll probably also eventually start growing some vegetable starts and supply school gardens. So we have big hopes and dreams for for that to be able to to supply local nursery Mm -hmm. plants Mm -hmm. to to our valley at very reasonable costs and for free in some cases. But we're also, one of our big projects that we're doing is at UCR in Palm Desert. We're starting a Kauia demonstration garden there. And we're going to be teaching historical importance of all the plants that our first people here in the valley used um, for food and medicine. And we're going to infuse those lessons with traditional ecological knowledge because that's really where permaculture started. Bill Mollison is the founder and father of permaculture. And he did this study of all the indigenous cultures globally, Mm -hmm. and he distilled all of their ethics and their principles and their practices down into the three permaculture ethics of earth care, people care, and fair share. So it's really important that we establish these native gardens wherever we can Mm -hmm. so that we can teach people that, look, this is where it really first started, and this is how people survived. Mm -hmm. And if you get to know your local plants and your local environment, you can do a lot for, you know, for very little. I know Prima was also saying, like, even if you're living in a concrete jungle in a tiny apartment, you can still do a little bit. Like, you can choose to eat only organic food. You can, um, we're, I don't know, we're getting in a kind of like a, a, an adult kind of personal level here, but like you can choose to change the type of sanitary napkins you use, um, like ones that are uh, washable or 100% organic cotton, or, or um, instead of creating more waste, you can, there's women that are starting to use a cup. Menstrual cups um, or washable menstruation cloths. Right, um, and you can do things like, growing windowsill herbs or microgreens or maybe do a a little bit of hydroponics yeah or have a warm bin inside for like your personal compost those are the best pets they don't make noise (laughs) they don't you know they don't disturb you you can bite they they don't bite you can go on a vacation (laughs) so yes wherever you are you can start uh, applying permaculture principles and it's not only in the way of 
the way we are eating food or sourcing our fiber it's actually grows into you it's actually changes the way you are living your life and looking the society and say what else can i do what is the next simple thing i can do to make an impact yeah and it's really it's designing all of those things into your life like what is the process that i'm going to go through to be able to make this make sense to me in my life you know where am i going to position this what resources do i have to start with mm-hmm. and how can i take what i'm using that might be something that i used to throw away or just flush down the toilet or or throw down the drain how can i use that gray water as a resource mm-hmm. right so on, on a larger scale we could build, and I know in some places they have been building entire cities that are built on permaculture principles. Uh, for example, I know there's one green city in Japan, and I, c- I can't remember the name of it, but I know they're um, trying to do this more and more all over Japan by using only electric, wind, and solar um, magnetic trains instead of trains that operate off of any type of a fuel. Um, and they're just trying to lead by example Mm-hmm. And um, in the Philippines, I know of another one that started using only refill stations instead of creating more plastic waste. Mm-hmm. Um, so people have their one glass or you know whatever it's made out of container, and um, they go to the refill stations and they keep refilling that container, recycling stuff we are throwing into the landfill or into the oceans, mm-hmm. especially if you are living on an island. You can't throw it on on the island because you have little space. And your next big thing is like throw it into the ocean. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. or tides are take it. We'll take care of it. Japan is really going forward with those things. And one project to mention is greening of the desert in Jordan. Mm-hmm. By, you know that Jeff, we can Jeff learn Lawton. by these yeah. examples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's completely changing how um, the desert. I think it's so similar to Coachella Valley. Mm -hmm. If you watch Jeff Lawton videos on YouTube, you will clearly understand what we can do in the desert Mm -hmm. to make sure we are uh, self-sufficient and at the same time not disturbing the desert landscape. Mm -hmm. You know, I came from a totally different country, so initially it was a struggle for me to understand what is native, what is non-native, what is the different, why can't I do this? But it boils down to, hey, you don't need the whole desert to grow your food. You just need a tiny space. Right. And we need to have that little desert landscape for other organisms that are thriving in the desert. So knowing the difference changed the way I look at things. Mm-hmm. I do things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the desert is a very abundant place. And you know, we have everything that we need. We have an abundance of sunshine. We have enough heat to grow heat-loving vegetables and fruits. And um, we, our desert is really unique, especially here in the Coachella Valley, because we have plenty of water here. Mm-hmm. Not that we want yes. to overuse mm-hmm. the water, but we definitely want to use it to its highest potential and mm-hmm. its highest power and its highest good. So growing our own food locally uh, is is a really great use of our local water source. And we don't have to import food that if we can grow it here in the desert. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think permaculture can be applied to like huge commercial agriculture and still maintain that return on investment? You or? know, you can try. You can, you can do some practices and design um, 
larger farms to be a little bit more sustainable. But agriculture in general is um, monoculture. Mm -hmm. It's monocropping. And so just by its very nature, it's unsustainable. Hmm. And it causes all kinds of problems with, you know, anytime you do consolidated systems of anything, it's, you know, has a lot, takes a lot of inputs. And then the outputs uh, don't really have a place to go, just like the horse manure that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, all those compadres, there are so many horses in such a small space that they're giving an overabundance of manure and there's nowhere to put it. So then we have to put it in a truck mm-hmm. and use fossil fuel to haul it off. Mm-hmm. And then it gets dumped somewhere and it's not being used. It's not putting mm-hmm. back into the system. So that's that's the same with confined animal systems, um, you know, all the manure that they produce in the mm-hmm. agricultural system. But even growing things like almonds, you know, the almonds in the Central Valley, we, we grow more almonds in California than anywhere else in the world, and then mm-hmm. we ship them all over the place. Mm-hmm. But we have thousands and thousands of acres of monoculture, and they have to be uh, pollinated by bees. And so all the right. bees are getting shipped from all over the country yes. to the Central Valley when yeah. it's time for pollination. So all of that is like really unsustainable, and I don't know how you would apply permaculture to that and the saddest Mm -hmm. thing i watched a documentary specifically on that where the bees are coming from a different all over the country Mm -hmm. and people are coming and stealing those beehives to sell them Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm like what's happening there you know we need the almond production and it's like more like grudge on each other and people doesn't get along they're just going in the middle of the night stealing the hives so they can (laughs) sell them that's that's sad it's very sad it's becoming such an issue with the vegans that there are some vegans that will not even though it's technically it's it's vegan almond milk is vegan um some vegans will not consume it because of the detriment to the bees and so part of the vegan belief is to not um harm animals or insects Hmm. so um yeah there's a there's controversy in the vegan community also mm-hmm. about um, almond milk. So the most eco-friendly that I'm aware of, which is of course the most expensive, is hemp seed, mm-hmm. hemp seed milk. So I usually will opt for uh, organic coconut and um, oat. I'll usually go for those. Although there's one brand of coconut milk, but it's, it comes in a can and people usually make Thai food with it okay. that uh, I think the only store I'm aware of that still sells it is Walmart and it's pronounced like Choctaw, something like that. The reason why the vegans don't like that brand is because they have monkeys pick the coconuts because a monkey can pick more coconuts in a day <laughs> than a human can. So they beat the monkeys into their yeah, work, they remove them. their teeth so that they won't, you know, bite humans and they don't give them any pain medication or anything oh. like that so so um ev- yeah you have it's like there's certain certain products you yeah. know that come from other places where yeah. the practices are different um so well anyhow that's a, another episode for but, another yeah, day but that's actually a really good point and this is why we do permaculture mm-hmm. and this is why we keep things right. local and we try to do as much as we can for ourselves because we never know what's going on someplace else in the world where other things have been produced for Mm -hmm. us and then we purchase that so even if i tell people even if you can start with a large pot and plant like a salsa garden plant some you know maybe you have a tomato plant in there and a pepper plant 
there are so many little things that you can grow in there that even though it's not going to be a huge part of your diet, it might be 10% of your diet. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and then you're not relying on other people to pro- provide things for you. And the mm-hmm. one thing I learned is like, I don't have to plant every single seed. No. People go overboard with that because they want to start a garden. <laughs> they want to plant everything. I'm like, I'm going to grow everything. <laughs> no, I'm eating only those five. So I'm going to stick to those five and pollinators that's needed for it and whatever the energy sources are. But initially, when I started looking into gardening and everything, oh, yeah, I got to plant zucchinis. I got to plant pumpkin. I'm like, I don't eat them. Mm-hmm. I don't eat any mm-hmm. kind of melons and I don't eat anything that grows on a vine. So I don't have to grow a large portion of vegetables that people commonly eat. I'm like, I just need to grow five or ten. That's right. it. I and, don't. And imagine to... if everybody did that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. if everybody just grew even one or two or three of their favorite vegetables or herbs, that cuts a lot, what? a lot out of the fossil fuel and the waste and um, the transport of all the food. Mm-hmm. So also, when you were talking about the horses, I know um, a lot of people will use waste. Uh, they will recycle it because you can create energy with it. I'm wondering if um, one of the ideas that they thought about, aside from manure, is to take the horse waste and use it to create um like some type of a, yeah, some so type of a fuel. I th- yeah. I think for them, uh, for biogas, you need a biogas digester, and it's it gets expensive a little bit at that point with the equipment. There are some DIY smaller systems though okay. that you can make for yourself, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and just use for yourself. But it's not something that you can really store large amounts of. It's something that's mm-hmm. like a continuous cycle thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, it off gases like the horse manure. Mm-hmm. And other green waste, you would put it in the container, it would off-gas, you would capture it in another container and then be able to look, hook it up directly to your hot water heater or your stove, your cooking stove, um, or maybe s- produce some sort of heat for your house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely something that the individual would have to be really into willing to do right out here we're probably going to opt for solar panels and not (laughs) (laughs) trying to use um any type of a waste i think i know eventually that's what i'm planning to do with mine because i don't have the solar panels yet but um Mm -hmm. for sure like i can see my future as all electric vehicles from now on after the car that i have right now it's running on E85. And I've heard debate about whether or not that's actually better than regular gas for the environmental. It's it's far less expensive. It's about half price. But so after that car, I want electric and then Mm -hmm. solar panels and my own charger and try to create, like you said, that closed loop system, try to create a completely green system Mm -hmm. and hopefully less expensive one too, because from what I understand, it's more cost effective to go solar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with the prices rising up and everything, it's better if people can go solar as soon as possible. And there is some good tax credit at this point right. to take mm-hmm. advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Susan, do you want to talk about your permaculture design course? I know I'm one of the first person yeah. that took the course. Yeah, you were in our pilot down at UCR <laughs> in Palm Desert in our pilot course. But our second course now is at um, RCRCD, which stands for Riverside Corona Resource Conservation District. Wow. And that's in the city of Riverside. 
and we're doing a permaculture design course there and it's one Saturday a month it's the second Saturday and it's from 9 till 3 30 mm-hmm. and it goes through the whole year and once we finish uh, in August our first round our first year there we're just going to keep going okay. so people can are welcome to jump in on the course anytime you can mm-hmm. come and take the classes that you're interested in and you can look um, on our website which is mm-hmm. digeco.org and that's spelled d-i-h-g eco.org and you can just see what we're teaching that saturday mm-hmm. um, and if you want to get your certificate your permaculture design certificate mm-hmm. you can as long as you get all 72 hours it doesn't matter if you get it in the one year or if you get it in two years or three years um, it's really convenient to everybody's schedule and is there any payment for this one or how are you doing this course it's donation based so whatever wow. people can whatever people can afford and we we feel like it's like super essential that as many people get this mm-hmm. education so we we are removing all barriers you know from not charging people to just asking that they pay what they can mm-hmm. to keeping it open so that they can acquire the hours as they can because not everybody can just mm-hmm. take, take off, off. or yeah. always be available the second Saturday so right do you think that in the future would it be possible that you might begin to offer the course online I'm not sure about that. Well, more better. When are you going to start doing that at College of the Desert? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, make it as a full-time course where people can take it ongoing basis. So imagine if every high school kid that graduated take permaculture as their mandatory class in the mm-hmm. beginning, and then they can decide because once you take permaculture, you're touching physics, chemistry, economics, mm-hmm. uh, sociology, architecture, geology, everything. everything, to astronomy, to marine science, all these things. You're touching a little bit of everything. So mm-hmm. then the kids can decide, okay, what do I want to do really? Yeah. Right. Well, I, I think an online course would be great. I don't know when we're going to actually be able to implement that, but it's we'll put it on the list yeah. for sure. That would be something probably to try to circle back with uh, Professor Leuschner um, because he teaches conservation of natural Natural resources. resources. So it's very similar to this. I'm sure a lot of what they're talking about is, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, but that would be something that um, we would probably want to talk to him about again Mm -hmm. to have that be a real thing. Yeah, Yeah, I I just hope, like, I don't know where to start, but I want to go to the college meetings and say, hey, permaculture can be a really good asset to the communities. And can you believe that Cal Poly Pomona has a master's degree in sustainability? And even though it got a long name, it's based on permaculture. Nice. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. go to Cal Poly Pomona to visit or something, there is 17 acres on top of the hill in, in Cal Poly Pomona campus that's dedicated to permaculture. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Every step you're taking on that 17 acres is with associated with permaculture, and that's how they do it. So it's in a college. It's it's a master's degree. Wow. So for students listening that are interested past the two-year level, because College of the Desert is only two the first two years that want to transfer on, that would be a great program for them to be interested at Cal Poly Pomona. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a 18 months or two-year uh, master's degree. Maybe they want to do agriculture or plant science as bachelors at Cal Poly, and then mm-hmm. they can do the master's degree. One thing that I want to add is that 
I love that permaculture is in the higher education, but what I also want to just emphasize is that permaculture is for everybody. You Mm -hmm. don't have to have a degree. You don't even have to have a high school education. Mm -hmm. And we want to continue to make it attainable so that people don't feel like, oh, I, you know, I don't have the credentials or the prerequisites because everybody, even if you're a five-year-old child, Mm -hmm. you can Mm -hmm. come and take permaculture classes. And that's the most important thing is to get the education wherever you can and then show up for events, show up and be in community, get that support. Because when I started in 2007, people hardly that I knew knew what permaculture was. Mm -hmm. And when I would talk to them about it, they would look at me like I had three heads. And they were like, (laughs) not even two, three. No, three. And they were like, well, Susan, why don't you just go to the store and buy your tomatoes? And I'm like, well, I think you're missing the point. Right, right. (laughs) So I'm happy that everybody knows about it now and that it is in, in the university but we also have to remember to keep it super accessible to everybody, have lots of community events around sustainability and um, just help people on their journey because I still get a few people who are like, yeah, I, just, I just don't know why you need to do that, Susan. <laughs> right. So one more time, because we're starting to run short on time now, what is the best way to get in contact with Dig EcoPrize if people want to get more involved? So you can visit our website, and that's spelled D-I-H-G-E-C-O dot org, digeco.org. And you can always give me a call at 310-990-8695. I would just want to thank Susan so much for being here with us again today. All of these solutions are just going to benefit us so, so much. And everything that you've talked with us about today is just all these awesome ways that we are going to have better quality of life for our future. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>